0: Happy New Year, everybody! Welcome back to the Holy City Hoops Podcast. Hope you all had a great holiday and enjoyed some time off from work or from school or whatever you got going on. We are back after about two weeks off. Thankfully, we didn't miss too much uh, due to COVID issues at Rhode Island and Drexel. Charleston only played one game while we were out. That would be the win at Old Dominion, eighty-two eighty. If you follow us on Twitter or social media, you saw we already talked about this one a little bit. But we are back. Conference play is back. The CAA tipped off just last week. Here to talk through all that is a first-time guest on the show. You know him on Twitter or Instagram as Redshirt Junior. We know him as Michael. He is on the show. We are going to talk through all the craziness of the first week of CAA games. COVID-19 was the big winner. Canceled several contests, but Charleston was not the only team to play these last couple days. We've got to talk through where things stand because it's already off to a wild start. Later on in today's show, we're going to do some gambling talk, something we don't talk about on this podcast too much, Uh, not for any sort of moral or ethical reasons, just because I know I would drive myself even crazier watching college basketball if I had actual money on the line. But if you're into that sort of thing, you're really going to enjoy the second half of this podcast. We're going to talk through where you might be able to win, what sort of advantages you can have from following a mid-major league like the CAA, pretty interesting stuff. If you have not already subscribed to this podcast or you're not following us on social media, make it your New Year's resolution. Fix that immediately. Conference play up through March Madness is a really fun time to get into College Hoops. So we hope you'll join us for the ride. Let's get into today's show. All right, we are welcoming to the show a first-time guest on the Holy City Hoops podcast, another College of Charleston alum who is Picking up some traction on Twitter and Instagram with his his takes on CAA hoops, Uh, you may know him as Redshirt Junior. We know him as Michael Collier. Mike, what's going on, man? Welcome to the pod.
1: Not much, Tommy. How you doing? Thanks for having me on.
0: Happy to have you here. I'm doing okay. I'm a little upset that our Cougs are starting 0 and 1 in the CAA, but the season is young. Uh, We got lots to talk about, and I want to pick your brain today about the CAA as a whole. We're A week in, some teams haven't played, some teams have played two games, some teams have only played one, but just as we start conference play, I want to kind of talk about where, where you see the CAA and how the teams stack up, but let's talk about the game that happened this week. Charleston only plays one game, the Drexel game, which was supposed to be their CAA home opener, was canceled due to COVID issues at Drexel. So the Cougs start with Delaware, Delaware coming off an upset at UNCW. They roll into TD Arena and get a 67 66 win. Charleston had a chance to win this game. John Meeks has the ball with about seven seconds to play, coming out of a timeout, down one, gets stripped. That's the game. I think it was just a case of a more experienced Delaware team winning this one. Uh, But I want to get your thoughts. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of things you could point to where it's just, you know, one small break and it's a totally different result. It's a painfully close game. Um, but I agree that there might be sort of a, a distance between where Charleston can play and where they're at currently just with what you pointed out the experience like Delaware those guys have been playing together for a decade now and uh, you know, it's the first year for Charleston so there's just times you know where we turn the ball over and it, it didn't have to be a turnover uh, just sort of a, a Delaware team that was more uh, cohesive I guess.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why they were picked first. I think just with all the uncertainty with so many teams in the CAA this offseason, with guys transferring in and out and coaching changes, Delaware just returned everybody, and they seemed like the easy favorite. I don't think they're the best team in the CAA, and we'll, we'll get to that conversation a little bit later. But I think just with everything returning and, and all the certainty they had, that's why you see them there, and, and that's why they, they got the win, I think. Every time Charleston cut it from like an eight or 10 point lead down to one possession, Delaware seemed to have a response. I tweeted this out though. Delaware is tops in the CAA in minutes continuity year over year, no surprise. And that's with them adding Jameer Nelson Jr., who really tore up the Cougars (laughs) in this one. And then they are fifth in overall experience. So they are a little bit of an older team. Charleston, conversely last in the CAA in minutes continuity, and they are ninth in uh, experience. And I think that's before Famir Ali transferred out. So you replace him with a true freshman, and it, it gets even worse. So much younger team going against a much older, more uh, cohesive team, like you said. It seemed to be the case. Um, you mentioned turnovers. Charleston had 18 in this one, 11 in the second half. Do you think that was the, the main reason for the defeat?
1: I think you could make the case that it is because... I mean we we had a we'd a bit better like assist to turnover ratio this game where we've had a lot of a lot of games where we're, you know, put up nine assists and like fifteen turnovers, something like that. And it's yeah, in a game where you lose by one, you have eighteen turnovers and you know, a couple of them in the paint, like in situations where you could you could maybe generate a bucket. But but like you point out, I mean, Jameer Nelson Jr. doesn't shoot like that from three every game and and he lit it up. So there's a couple things that uh, you sort of just have to tip your cap to Delaware, but there's definitely mistakes that, that Charleston has probably you'd say consistently been making since the start of the season that hopefully we see taper down a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, I think a lot of these CAA games are going to be like this. I think they're going to be, I mean, the games we've seen so far have been one or two possession games. I haven't been a ton of blowout so far. And the CAA does have a lot of older teams. Unlike Charleston, Charleston and William and Mary are really the only outliers when it comes to youth. So I do think it's, you know, Charleston's going to find themselves in a lot of close games and you do kind of find yourself nitpicking little mistakes along the way. I mean, if Rain Smith makes one more three pointer instead of going one for eight, he goes two for eight, or he goes one for seven. Is the game different? If if Meeks hits the front end of the one and one late, or if Tucker hits a free throw late, Jordan Seachin doesn't airball two, two threes in the, (laughs) in the first 10 minutes, is this a totally different game? And, you know, Delaware had some Mistakes as well down the stretch. They missed free throws and missed a dunk here and there. Um, but yeah, you do find yourself. Uh, a few things were tweaked. I think a lot of people would probably point to the poor three-point shooting from Charleston in this game. Mm-hmm. But I do think they still did enough to to win this one, which makes it you know that much more painful. Uh, you win the battle in the paint. You win the battle on the boards. You have those turnovers, but so did Delaware. And then you get a really big game from OC Smart who has a double-double in this one, and he holds Dylan Painter in check, Delaware's best player. And I, it just sucks to, to squander that kind of performance.
1: Yeah, it was the uh, OC smart revenge game for sure. I looked last year, and it was, I think Painter had, you know, like 16 points, eight rebounds in both games against Charleston, and this, this was an awesome performance from OC. And we were doubling Dylan in the first half, um, which was working well for our objective there, but then they were obviously drilling the threes. But, you know, O.C. puts up the double-double. He's, like, keeping us in it it's basically down the stretch at times single-handedly, you know, just get offensive rebound after offensive rebound. Um, so that was and, – and, yeah, you don't get that every night. So, again, it's like if Rain Smith goes two for eight from three, which is, like, how many times is, is he even going to shoot like that? It's not – you'd think it's it's less often than it. Uh, he shoots at least two for eight, three for eight. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to take. And, and the like, I don't know. I was so, I was so happy for O.C., though, just – dylan painter has come to town and dominated the cougars so often that oc knows his game now he knows his dirty tricks and uh
0: they've been going at it
1: for five years right he, he got he got like the last word we'll see we'll see who gets the true last word but uh yeah in charleston td he did
0: yeah really really good game from oc definitely the best performance of the year i think for him mm-hmm. you mentioned the doubling on painter if the game plan was to limit him which i think it should be because he is their best player right we we did our job there and Pat Kelsey had a, had a great game plan, but yeah, there were a couple of times where we brought the double team and Delaware was just splashing threes when, when Painter would kick it out. Mm-hmm. And I do think, again, with conference play, playing teams twice, you are going to see much better scouting on each other both ways. I thought Delaware had a really good scout on Demetrius Underwood. Agreed. Who had seven of those 18 turnovers. They were not falling for his tricks driving into the paint. They were yeah. stripping him. Uh, they forced him to take two threes. I think he made his first three of the year, thankfully, but mm-hmm. they knew his game and they knew Charleston only has one real point guard and, and made life really difficult for him.
1: Yeah, and the, that's going to be really, I think, maybe something that our success is you know keyed on for the rest of the season is one, someone emerging to to take a little pressure off him at the point. But two, Demetrius is also sort of evolving his game. Like you said, he hit his first three, and that was like a catch and shoot, like wide open. Like he didn't really hesitate. So I thought that was that was good. Obviously, he he's hesitant to shoot, and it's not like the ideal uh, shot. But I think you're right that the tape is out, where you know he's going into the paint, and he's either gonna try if he's stronger than you, he's going to the basket, or he's gonna try to make a play for someone.
0: Yeah. So that that is something to to monitor. We've gotten this far without mentioning John Meeks. Uh, so this was his first game back in almost a month. He looked like his old self. I mean, he was the reason Charleston was in this one. He has 17 points in this game, showed no ill effects of the, the toe injury. I know he was kicking himself at the end of the game mm. for turning the ball over and, and not getting a shot off. But as everyone was saying on the broadcast, he was the reason Charleston was still in it. Would have been a lot uglier uh, without John Meeks. What would you think of his play in this one?
1: Yeah, I thought he was great. And I wrote down just the first thing I wrote was just John Meeks doing John Meeks stuff and uh, just hits his first three like nothing ever happened. And yeah, and I was curious why he didn't start. I didn't know, like I know his game time decision leading up to it. He wasn't in the line. I'd be like at first thinking, okay, well, we're gonna try to do it without him. And then he played starter minutes off the bench. So I was wondering if that yeah. was like some Pat maybe, maybe a little
0: little gamesmanship from yeah. Pat Kelsey <laughs> yeah. to uh, not let not let Inglesby know Meeks was playing.
1: Right. Yeah, I appreciate that. I I, I was assuming that was what he was doing, but wasn't totally sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, you love to see that, and and that's going to be. I mean, John Meeks has been preseason like the guy who's who's the engine of the team, and if you look at all, you know, Evan Mia is a, a like analyst sure. who uses uh, Bayesian metrics for players. So he, he makes, like, team ratings building from the ground up. And uh, John Meeks is obviously key to Charleston's success.
0: Yeah, I mean, they look a lot better with him than they do without him. Right. To go back to reasons why this this loss happened, I think in comparison to that the old Dominion game a few days prior where it seemed like everybody was chipping in, mm-hmm. uh, 10 players had four or more points in that game. That compared to this Delaware game where outside of Meeks, Tucker, and OC you're your older guys, your more experienced guys, the rest of the roster didn't contribute much in ways of scoring. So the following players had less than three points a piece. There's six of them. Burnham had two points. Seachin had zero. Horton had zero. Lampton had two points. Fye had two points. And Evdomikov had zero points. So outside of those big three, first conference game for a lot of these guys was pretty shaky and I, I think you see the the lack of experience
1: yeah and being thrust into playing a rotation now without ali and it and just sort of like not knowing between i think it's kind of between evdokimov Chan, and uh horton like one of those three guys has to or you know some combination of them but it with guard minutes like one of those guys is gonna have to become dependable for us uh but yeah you see that we we're not quite as deep as we are when we started the year and we we played i think I'm not sure how many guys off the bench, but Meeks had the entire bench scoring, basically, whereas Delaware played like three guys off the bench, but you know Ryan Allen's taking 15 shots and like they're all contributing.
0: The bench points looks pretty good because Meeks came off right. the bench. Uh, the bench production was actually not so great. Um, yeah. Brendan Tucker is becoming more and more consistent, especially at home. Mm-hmm. We already talked about OC, but yeah, you would love to see someone like Burnham or Horton who had a really good game against ODU give you something. In, in ways of offense uh chuck lampton too he right. avoids foul trouble against painter but uh, doesn't give you much on the offensive end Phi, who's started several games doesn't give you much i know those guys are coming off injuries but you know one of the things i had worried about was if you have all this youth what if everybody hits the freshman wall at the same time and we've yeah. seen rain rain smith definitely cool off burnham's cooled off a little bit but does you know have some good games here and there. These guys are probably going to end up on the all rookie team, but conference play is just a whole different animal. Teams are scouted a lot more, a lot better. I think most of the CAA is going to be better than most of the non-conference teams we played. I think most of the CAA would beat Tulane would beat yeah. Stetson and, and teams like that. So we're just going to have to see how, how these younger guys evolve over the course of the season.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I, I check a couple sites to see where teams are ranked and like, in the CAA, you might see Charleston ranked third, or you might see them ranked sixth. And I think it's a lot of, it's just they're hard to quantify being such a young team. And the talent is there. There's so much to be excited for in the future, like next season guys developing. Like you said, if if everyone hits a wall and you don't really have a clear cut, uh, someone who's gonna step up or who hasn't been in that position before, then it's gonna be a challenge.
0: Last five games, most frequent lineup which is barely the most frequent no no lineup plays more than like six percent of the minutes Mm -hmm. but it's underwood smith tucker burnham farrar um and nick was out this game right which which ended up being important i thought you know we would need him because i thought oc and chuck were gonna get in immediate foul trouble against painter Mm -hmm. Uh, but nick is a guy who can pour in points in in a limited amount of time and i think he was out with covid protocols but uh he he might have been useful in this one
1: Yeah, that's another thing you can point to. It's like if we have Farrar, you know, maybe he hits a three, and it's it's a different game. But yeah, that's he's going to be key for us going forward too. I mean, I think between him or Horton, as you know, an emerging forward.
0: Yeah, just put all the CFC freshmen on the all freshmen team at the end of the year.
1: It's going to be hard to avoid that.
0: It's crazy because you don't see a lot of freshmen this year because everybody came back.
1: Yeah, or that's like the yeah the guys who transferred in. It's like there's there's a lot of newcomers, but not a lot of freshmen.
0: Not a lot of true freshmen getting significant minutes. Anything else from this game you want to touch on? Anything we didn't get to?
1: Um, I don't think so. Yeah, just it was painful, but I think uh, still reasons to be optimistic.
0: Lots of other teams in the CAA without a win yeah. just yet. So let's segue over to the CAA talk. Again, not every team has played. I think we're going to see this for the rest of the season, these reschedules or teams not being healthy enough to, to play a game. Hopefully it goes better than last season, but we did get some CAA action in the early going. What was the most surprising result you saw in the the first couple games?
1: I think most surprising have to go with William and Mary and Hofstra. I think either way, you're going to include William and Mary uh, in, in the answer yeah. to this. But uh, that one stands out, especially, you know, Northeastern lost to Elon and William and Mary, and they're playing without Shaq Walters, which, you know, the, it's a little context, whereas the William Mary Towson was just kind of, or uh, Hofstra was kind of just a blindside. And, and I mean, Hofstra, a big fumble at the end of the game. Some shock value there, but I don't think anyone, you know, I think they're like 15-point favorites or something like that. And William and & Mary got them into a dogfight. But this Hofstra team is like, you know, they can look so good and beat Arkansas and then turn around and lose to William & Mary after they get Zach Cooks back from injury.
0: Yeah, I think in terms of, team rankings it was definitely one of the bigger upsets in, in college basketball so William and Mary went into that game as Ken Palm 342 342nd best team in college basketball Hofstra was 117 mm-hmm. so that's quite a swing not to mention William and Mary went 0 for 12 against other D1 teams yeah. in non-conference play looked like the for sure bottom feeder in the CAA and now they're 2-0 but yeah the Hofstra game I don't know if you can pick another upset bigger than that I mean Elon smacking Northeastern by 20 was pretty surprising. William and Mary beating Northeastern at, at the buzzer was pretty crazy. North, I don't know what the hell Northeastern was doing down the stretch. They, they're up what one or two with 1.6 seconds to play, throw it out of ba- throw it from out of bounds to out of bounds, foul twice.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to hard to do.
0: But now William and Mary is is two and zero. So yeah, some surprising results. I think you know a big takeaway for me, home teams were four and one. Mm. Charleston was the only home team in the first week of CAA play that lost and most of those were upsets Elon UNCW William and Mary twice those were all upsets so home court advantage I think is going to be huge which again is part of the reason why that Delaware loss is so painful because you're playing at home you haven't played you've played one game in 15 days so you're you're rested you get you're healthy you have Meeks there got to win that game because Charleston's going to go on this Northeast road trip, which is always tough, to Northeastern and to Hofstra. They're going to be underdogs in both. Mm-hmm. You know, 0-3 is, is possible here, and then you, know, you look up at the standings and you're maybe four or five games back already. That's a, a pessimistic viewpoint, but I think home court advantage is huge, and that, that was a big reason why we saw teams like UNCW, Elon, and William & Mary look totally rejuvenated.
1: Yeah. And it was, I mean, you could see it, it was really interesting. It was uh, like all the students were on break, you know, it's winter break. So the, the attendance at the William Mary game and and at the Charleston game, it was pretty low compared to what you're going to get on a normal day. And it still was a huge difference maker. And maybe even with all the postponements happening and the CAA's kind of track record there, who knows if, if full attendance will be even occurring at the end of the season. But whether it is or not, I think you're right. That home board advantage is going to be a big deal.
0: Well, Northeastern is playing without fans. So that game will, will not have anybody in attendance, but Northeastern's going to be Oh, and two back in their own gym and, and maybe a little bit desperate to, to get a win. So I hope Charleston's ready for that. Yeah. So how would you re-rank the CAA? Would you re-rank it at all at this point in the schedule? Or are you waiting for things to, to mellow out? Do you move anybody around?
1: Um, I, I think, If you kind of want to, it's kind of hot takey because they haven't played a game yet. I think Towson is the best team in the CAA. That's not really that controversial to say because Towson is number one on every every analytics site I check. That's you know Ken Palm Haslametric, Torvik, unanimous one, and Hofstra unanimous two. And then after that, Mm -hmm. you find a lot of parity. I I don't know that that's you know Towson hasn't played William and Mary yet, so we can't we can't uh, give them too much credit yet. I think, you know, they're just a totally different team um, with Cam Holden and Terry Nolan. Right now, are Ken Palm, you know, all-conference team guys. And uh, Terry Nolan, I think, is like top 30 in assist rate or something like that. And, you know, last year, Towson's only mechanism was to make the game super ugly. And uh, not that that is totally gone from their philosophy, but definitely a more talented team this year. Uh, and they're 11-2 and two against the spread, so it's kind of, you know, people have, haven't really given them credit, even though they're putting together a decent resume. But a bunch of coaches who know Pat Scary well are coming up, so I think you know, it's, it's going to get difficult. But at the moment, they're sitting at the top. And I think Hofstra has a good case as well, but, uh, again, they can beat Arkansas and then turn around and lose to William & Mary, very volatile, so kind of hard to pinpoint.
0: Well, I will agree with your hot take. Despite Towson not playing a CAA game yet, I, I do think they're the best team in the league right now. I would put Hofstra up there. I think I would keep JMU up there too. I mean, they didn't play the most difficult schedule, but they get the big marquee home win over UVA. I think they're they're pretty talented. I thought I was pretty confident putting William and Mary and UNCW at the bottom of the standings. Maybe they're a little punchier than we thought. William and Mary, both both those teams need to go on the road. Yeah. Uh, and. I would like to see like a, a multi-possession win for, for either of those teams. It was pretty crazy yeah. endings in, in all three of those games. Um, but then, yeah, you do have that muddled middle of Charleston, Delaware, Drexel, Northeastern, Elon, which could go a, a lot of different directions. I, I do think Northeastern takes a hit here for their performance in those two games they played. Yes, they were on the road. Yes, one of them was close. But I think I'm not as confident in Northeastern as as I normally would be with with Bill Cohen and and co. But Elon surprised me. Uh, UNCW surprised me. But I still think you do have Towson, Hofstra, JMU at the top, William & Mary and UNCW at the bottom. And then that that middle class, which hopefully Charleston ends up being in. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think it's almost harder to pick the bottom of the league now that it's like, you know, at the beginning of the season, the one thing we all knew was that William and Mary is the worst team. That's like the one consistent <laughs> yes. thing and now they're two and oh, so it's hard like, yeah. and UNCW obviously with the upset win, but uh, yeah, the, the middle of the pack thinning out is going to be really interesting. And I think it really just is that close. Like I think the team that finishes seventh is not going to be, you know, what you would think of as four places worse than the team that finishes in third. Like, I think they're talent wise, just there's, you know, very little between them. And uh, JMU, like you said, not the toughest non-con schedule, but you know, scary lineup in the CAA, like they can match up with everyone. And I think, uh, yeah, like Charles fall to call Molson in league play is going to be a dangerous
0: combo. When JMU and Charleston play, they might eclipse the century mark because they're both going to be running and gunning. But yeah, it's a good league this year. I mean, I saw the stat the other day that The league's up to 14th on Ken Palm, which is the best since like 2016, 2017, when UNCW, Charleston, Hofstra, Northeastern were all really good. I think they're still behind the SoCon, which has a little bit more talent at the very top, but definitely one through seven or eight, you've got some really, really good teams. And then, like I mentioned, UNCW and William & Mary might be a little, might trend closer to like highly volatile young team versus just basement dweller mm-hmm. so i i think it's a good league overall there's some really talented players and every game is going to be very close so i hope your team has a closer i hope you can make your free throws because it's it's going to be really essential that you don't play like northeastern or hofstra down the stretch in williamsburg
1: yeah and i think it's setting up if, if as long as we get there to a really exciting conference tournament too like if you finish first maybe a and a not just conference tournament because it still feels like anyone you know you get the fifth seed you could still get a berth um yeah yeah
0: we saw it last year with elon upsetting jmu exactly on the on the first weekend i mean it can happen i just so far not landing that bye has been a death sentence so if you're playing on that saturday which only three teams or only two teams will be playing in that because jmu is not eligible right nobody's ever won the four games in four days so as long as you can avoid that, mm-hmm. you should yeah, I, I do think it is gonna be a really, really competitive CAA tournament. Well, I want to talk to you about something that you tweet about more. People following me for like betting and gambling advice on the CAA, and I came out and said it the other day on Twitter. I was like, never bet money on CAA hoops yeah. after what happened over the weekend. It's like you will lose. You cannot beat you cannot beat them. You explore this space a little bit more than I do and, and look at analytics. What's what's your approach to to betting on CAA games? Do you have success? What walk me through this?
1: So I bet a lot of games, um, but I do. I kind of approach the CAA games a little bit different, just because I, you know, I'm following a lot more people who talk about it all the time. The betting market might, you know, not account for someone being injured. Like they might have thought, you know, John Meeks wasn't going to play last game. That right. didn't didn't affect the spread really. But uh, yeah, there's kind of conferences I know better or worse than others. Like I follow the big East pretty closely too, but uh, I, I mostly look at analytics to try to find uh, a numbers edge on totals or the spread. But then for a CAA game, you know, I might see uh, that Ken makes it a 10 point game and Bart Torvik makes it a 12 point game. But so this is how I felt about Hofstra, William and Mary. That is like, Oh, 15 points. Like Hofstra is going to win by 20. And uh, that simply did, did not occur. So yeah, you you can definitely think you're really smart and and get things wrong, but uh, I try to try to like I mean if there's a, a slate of 60 games, I might have bets on like 20 of them because it's mostly like trying to beat the closing line and uh, incorporating data from a few sources.
0: That's interesting. So it the safe bet seems to be Towson and everybody else right now
1: Towson fans are killing it like just blindly betting Towson (laughs) this year would be a better strategy than like almost any other (laughs) that you could think of
0: how's Charleston doing against the spread
1: I'm not even sure at first it was pretty good and and the totals were really good the first like eight games or so and they they didn't all go over but it was like we were still kind of getting Earl Grant data mixed with uh Pat Mm. Kelsey data so it was just like Ken Palm wasn't making really good totals. And most of the time the betting market, like their direct is going to check Ken Palm and say, Oh, like 145 open at 145 and and see where the action comes. But, uh, that was a fun angle. I I think that type of stuff exists more in like the beginning of the season where, I mean, yeah, Towson has continued to beat the spread, but that's more of like an anomaly. But if you know that JMU is going to have some really good guards this year, you, you might have a little bit better, uh, idea of how they're going to perform then a model that's using
0: stuff from last year i'm sure vegas course corrected after that south carolina state game it was like okay yeah. this is not earl grant at all yeah this is a totally totally different team because charleston's still first in tempo i think delaware really slowed them down in that game mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's a completely completely different product so i do think if you are a better and you do have enough knowledge of mid major hoops you can take advantage of some of that volatility early I guess
1: yeah and and it's definitely like diminishing like I mean so this is the first year I've really been doing it like kind of hardcore like I was practicing last year just sort of like checking Ken Palm and being like oh there's a difference between Ken Palm and the line and then now kind of having having the time being like oh well they're basing the line off of what Ken Palm says but mm-hmm. or I did find that this year early in the season it's like it you, you kind of have to strike while the iron's hot. Like that Charleston thing, like you said, they, they figured that out. You know, Charleston's playing like hilariously fast. And that's how, that's how Pat Kelsey plays, you know, like the Winthrop teams that he, he just coached were, you know, they are putting up totals in the one sixties and stuff like high totals all the time. Uh, and I think Charleston specifically sometimes doesn't get to where they could in scoring because of, you know, they're playing really fast and it can work well, but there's times where we just have like a disconnect. So I'm not going to tell everyone to blindly bet Charleston overs anymore. (laughs) But if you blindly bet Towson for the first uh, couple weeks and blindly bet Charleston overs, that worked.
0: I think this was the first, the Delaware game was the first time Charleston didn't score more than 75 Mm -hmm. at home. And for playing at the pace we do and the style we do, we being Charleston, I sound like a William & Mary play-by-play guy right now, but we being Charleston, not the best three-point shooting team in the league by, by any measure. Yeah, this team is young. This is Pat Kelsey's first year. Things are things are going to normalize. I I get frustrated with just fantasy sports. I'm kicking myself in fantasy basketball with all the guys sitting out for COVID. I am like anxiously checking the ESPN app every day, every Sunday when my fantasy football team's playing. I can't imagine if I was playing was betting on thirty games in college hoops or something like that. So props to you for for having the cojones to to do that. Hopefully, you're. Uh, the more you learn about the CAA, and the more you pick up from the the guys you're following on Twitter now, you're you're at least making a little bit of money. Yeah, thank you.
1: And and I am. It's uh it's been kind of crazy. I wouldn't say that like it's easy by any means. It's not like I like wake up and I'm like, oh, let's pick some winners. Or, like I I wouldn't <laughs> advertise uh, betting on sports as like free money, but. <laughs> like I just got limited at sugar house, which was kind of wild. I've been angrily tweeting about it. I don't know if you've, you've seen that, but, uh, <laughs> seen a little I bit. call them, I'd like to call them out a little, but, uh, that was a, something that confirmed to me kind of like, Oh wait, like I, you know, I was like, am I winning and getting lucky? It's like, okay, they're limiting me now. That's like a little validation, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think for an approach to betting, uh, one, not watching the game sometimes is really helpful. I, I watch the teams that I like, but, uh, it it can just be undue stress, and um, yeah, yeah. Just knowing that, like, you wanna, you really wanna beat the closing line. Like, if I beat the the closing line and I lose the bet, I'm not happy, but I wouldn't really have changed something. So um, yeah, you gotta wake up early if you wanna do that.
0: Did you bet on the William and Mary Northeastern game? Were you one of the ones who? No, I didn't. I
1: was actually I was in okay. Maryland, where gambling is immoral, so I did not. Right. Yet.
0: Okay. I don't know if that made like SportsCenter's bad beats of the day. Sure. I'm guessing it did yeah. because that that kind of thing would drive me crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, like if you didn't watch it and you just checked your phone, you might see you lost and say, oh, man, if you saw that happen, like that, that's just painful.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you saw the, uh, what is it, like the predictor of, whether yeah. you're going to win or not and it spikes up and then spikes down and spikes back up or something. The win probability graph is never meant to look like that. Cool, man. Well, that's a, a nice little bit of insight into the, the betting world. Like I said, I, I don't partake, but I know a lot of people do. Um, mm-hmm. And CAA hoops, especially, is has got to be just wild in, in that case. But I'm going to let you go, man. Uh, appreciate you coming on to the pod for the first time. Uh, so for anybody who who doesn't follow Redshirt Junior on Instagram and Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. At Redshirt Junior. One of the few people crazy enough to to talk CA hoops, following the cougs. Always some some good content on there. And maybe you'll uh you'll learn a little bit more about the gambling side. So Michael, thanks for, for rolling through and uh come back soon. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Tommy. A long time listener. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks, dude. Cheers.